What's up everyone, welcome to episode 31 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by noise.co.uk. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are you? I'm very well, sir. How about you? I'm good, man. Another week, another podcast. Indeed. How long are you away from your Easter break? A um, month? Yeah, um, no. coronavirus, coronavirus permitting about three and a half weeks. He's having up a whole new can of worms. Indeed. Indeed. I mean, I, I don't even know what's going to happen at all. Like, there's a real possibility that we could be, like, taking, like, a month off if it continues like this. You don't have to speculate, obviously, because I don't know as much as the next guy. But, man, it's a real thing. Yeah, I, I've been thinking that too, man, because, like, all, all things being well, I will be working in the school as well come, like, late April. Or Indeed. Will, I? Will, will, will the school even be open? Crazy, man. Yeah, it is. It really is. You just got square, man. This is a rock and metal podcast brought to you fortnightly by the absolute gentleman at Noise at Cardiac UK. We're available on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Music. Want to make mention again that we are nominated for Best Press at the Cardiff Music Awards. So if you just Google Cardiff Music Awards, you'll be able to vote for us for that. That would mean the world to us. On the last episode that we did, we did something a little bit different for album reviews because we didn't have anything coming out that we thought we either got early or that we really wanted to discuss. So instead, I picked an album for Sam and he picked an album for me. So we discussed Turnstile and Counting Crows, which was really cool and has completely opened me up to Counting Crows, man. I'm still massively into them. And also, you're coming to see Turnstile with me on Thursday? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Isn't that going to be wonderful? It is indeed. Absolute absolute riff central, mate, that is going to be. Always, bro. Also did live reviews on Counterpart and The Menzing as well on the last episode. So if you missed any of that, it's on YouTube, Spotify and Apple Music. You can go back and listen. Uh, This week, we're going to be doing something that we haven't actually done for a while on the Noise Podcast. We're going to do some single reviews. Ones from Enter Shikari, Trivium Mm -hmm. and the new Fever 333 single. Uh, This might sound strange to you listening. I was at the Stereophonics uh, last Saturday. So I'll talk about that. (laughs) And then we are going to review um, the new Five Finger Death Punch record. As well as, I have got my Chris Meats interview, and that was with Alex and Jeremy from a band called Red Method, so stick around for that. Now, before actually we go any further, I do want to mention, they were in a foreign country while they would, while we were doing this interview, we did it through Skype. And you, fair, uh, first of all, thanks to them for doing it, because they were in a different country, they could literally have said, no, that's going to be too awkward for us. So, amazing that they agreed to still do it, however, the audio... It is very difficult at parts, and the conversation at points keep dropping in and out of connection. I think they said they were in Gibraltar or something like that. So there's going to be some quite severe edits I'm going to have to do on that interview so that it keeps flowing. So when you're listening to it, there might be the occasional drop in audio and then come back in because their connections kept dropping because I am in a small house in Wolverhampton and they were in Gibraltar. So quite quite a fair distance there. Indeed. Well, on, on noise.co.uk at the minute, we've got album reviews on the new My Dying Bride album and uh, my feature with Pat Sheridan from Fit for an Autopsy from an interview that I did with him when they were touring the UK with The Artist Murder in January. So please go and check that out. I've, I've actually forgot, Sam. We're also doing three albums from your greatest metal album of all time list, aren't we? We are indeed. Man, we're getting right down to this, this peak of metal here and it's an exciting oh, time mate. to be alive, isn't it? It really is. We're, we're, we're rapidly approaching the top 20 metal albums ever. 
amazing. For those who have, this might be the first time you've listened, Sam's done this unbelievably in-depth job of going through the 100 greatest metal albums of all time. We've got <clears> now to uh, top 22. That's right, yeah, we're doing and, 22, 21 and 20 today. So after you've done, after we've done this, on episodes going forward, there will just be a section dedicated solely to one album, whereas previously you've been reading off albums in two, three, four in a row. Yes. Going forward, it's going to be one section on said album, going f- and then moving up to the top ten, where there will be one specific episode per album. So do be sticking around and looking forward to that. Very fascinated about what the next three um, inputs into the list are going to be. And I've got no doubt you've got thoughts. You always have Indeed. thoughts. Indeed. Indeed. So let's get things going, man. Um, Enter Shikari, The Dreamers Hotel. They've got a new album coming out on the 17th of April. It's called Nothing is True and Everything is Possible. You can Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong here because it's you. So you'll be able to know. (laughs) Um, You you were hot on Enter Shikari when the debut album came out. Yeah, it was. um, It took took me a little while, but eventually... Eventually, yeah, but sort of like 2007, 8-ish, I yeah. was very much on board. Take to the skies, you were all about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, looking back, it's one of the most impactful debut albums of the last 15 years in alternative music, I think. So when did you drop off, or was it just like a steady decline where you just kind of like, they just kind of fell off your radar I think I think so, I think so. Like, I was in on the next two albums, which I thought were very, very good. Um, But then, as the band entered the 2010s, um, I faded away a little bit. I've, I've come back recently, mainly through noise and meeting and speaking to people like Jack, like yourself, that have been in on Enter Shikari and our good friend Kelsel, who's been a big Shikari fan for a while, um, and lots of others where I've, I've been brought back to the table, so to speak. But if it was... But if it was just me, like, I wouldn't... It's really strange to say that I'm a big... I was a big fan of the band um, at the start, but... I wouldn't have chosen to revisit unless I'd have had friends around me that were like, oh, you should re-listen. They're really good. This bit's really good. Do you know what I mean? I genuinely dipped off the wagon for a while. So I was massive on Enter Shikari for Mm. quite a while. I remember their album, A Flash Flood of Colour. I was just mesmerised by, and I thought it was brilliant. And I saw them at Reading 2014. Yeah. They were like, what, fourth from headline, I think, on the main stage. Massive crowd, absolutely kicked off. Really, like, intense, crazy atmosphere. Everyone is literally losing their minds to this band. And I'm thinking at that time, man, these guys are gonna, these guys are just going to go on and they're just going to dominate British heavy music. And then there was somewhat of a culture shift for them. They did the Mind Sweep in 2015, which was, which was a, you know, a good album, and I liked it. And there was still a lot of the intensity they managed to capture but you could you could see that the wheels are starting to move in terms of they had felt like there was something more they could do outside of the classic take to your skies techno led breakdowns and then they did the spark in 2017 which originally i didn't like and i thought okay they've gone into completely new alternative rock territory here still the techno vibes but They've they've moved away from the Shikari of two thousand six two thousand seven, which is which is perfectly fine, and I'm all about bands evolving. But this all of a sudden hasn't become for me. And then, for the podcast, they I asked if we could if I could go and see them live. I asked the PR, and they're like, "Yeah, we got you a press pass, go." Because Kelsall and other friends of ours were there, was going anyway. So I thought I might as well go and have a decent time. And it turns out 
they play this really, really amazing set that just completely recaptured me on the band. And now I listen to The Spark, and I'm actually much more fond of it. Still, I don't think it's great, but I'm much more fond of it than I was. The reason why I've mentioned all of this and why this is relevant is because I feel like Enter Shikari are in the kind of space now where this next album coming up out on the 17th of April, if it's not earth-shattering for them, I can't see their stature ever growing above Alexandra Palace. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If you can headline Alexandra Palace, you're good to go for the rest of your career because you'll make yes. you, will, you will make a lot of money in ticket sales. However, I think that's where, for the last ten years of British rock music, we're starting to have a little bit of a problem where bands hit Alexandra Palace and then they can't quite make the sustained arena leap. Like, yeah. if, if, if Enter Shikari announced an arena tour tomorrow, I don't think a single date would sell out personally. Maybe one culmination date in London might. But if there were, like, uh, Nottingham, Manchester, Birmingham, London, and then obviously one in Scotland and Cardiff, I don't th I think maybe the Cardiff date might sell out, but I don't think any of the others would. Uh, do you agree? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think they've reached their ceiling. And I agree with you that a lot of bands are in the Hall of Very Good, aren't they, rather than the Hall of Great. But, you know, I think that's okay. It's just, if Anti Shikara were ever to break through, they need a hit single. They, well, yeah, they need, a, they need at least another hit single outside of Sorry You're Not a Winner. Um, but here we are, uh, The Dreamers Hotel. They have actually released another song <laughs> since this came out uh, called The King. But I wanted to speak specifically about The Dreamers Hotel because it's like the lead single precursing this new yeah. album out on the 17th of April. I think this is great. Sam, you in? Yeah, I like this. This is quite cheeky, I thought. Um, I, I, I enjoyed the I enjoyed the tone of it. I enjoyed the voice. I enjoyed the... It seemed to be like the return of like a little bit of like witty humour, which I've, which I've missed, um, which appeared in, in some Shikari stuff from, from yesteryear. And I, I, I really liked it. It doesn't sound like a Shikari song in the heavy sense. No, obviously, no, they've, they've grown out. Yeah, I've moved away from that, obviously. Um, actually, sounds a bit sort of indie uh, yeah. at times, which I, which I, which I quite, I quite enjoyed. It was reminiscent of like the streets, but like an angrier version of the streets, or like Jamie T, like at times, like early Jamie T stuff. And I, I've got no problem with that whatsoever. I've got a bit of a soft spot for bands that sound a bit like that, and I think it's, um, I think it's a sound that works for them. I really do because because they're 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 a talent they're a talented group and I like this. This is not a a massive like depart departing shot from any of their previous stuff in terms of like oh my god this is going to change the way we view Enter Shikari. It's not like that, but this is a it's a really good song and it gives me faith that the album's going to be good as well. Rue's still got this really great chorus voice, hasn't he? Yeah, I yeah, love and the he's, chorus he, on this. yeah, absolutely, and he's he's a He's a good lyricist, and he can he can turn he can turn a phrase, and the the band are beautifully constructed around him, which is quite nice. Um, they never try and compete with each other. He's the central figure, and I think that works best because I agree with you. He's got an immediately noticeable voice, which in metal is incredibly hard to do, or in, in alternative music actually, he sounds like him, and I think that's terrific. So I've warmed to this new style of Enter Shikari, man, and I think. Maybe this record, I wouldn't be as bold to say this makes them 
consistent arena sellers. But I think this might move them a little bit further forward instead of instead of sideward step, which is what I think the spark was. I think this is gonna this could move them slightly more forward in terms of another Alexandra Palace sellout date that culminates at all. Yeah, and and, and then and so. then we move again from there because, but I mean, I'm judging solely from one song here. But I think this is better than anything that I heard on the Spark. There was yeah, a, there I was a couple of good so- there was a couple of good songs on the Spark. Uh, the sites being probably the best, but I I, th- I think this is a, a really really interesting good precursor. And again, going back to that chorus, man, I've still got that chorus stuck in my head now. And yeah. I, listened to, I listened to the song like this morning a few times and I heard it uh, when it first came out a couple of times. Well, I'm still thinking about that chorus now. It's got such a really like intrinsically interesting beat that just runs along Rue. And that's what you need, man. You need that chorus that's going to that's gonna um, cross over and speak to multiple genres. That's what this song is, man. I- I'm well into this. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is a successful step for, for Enterprise moving forward and I'm looking forward to the album. Going to move on to a band that we're both more fond of. Not that we not fond of Enshikari, but Trivium, mate. We both really, really dig Trivium. Big so, fan. new album out, What the Dead Men Say, on the 24th of April, Sam. But the lead single from that, Catastrophist, came out just over a week ago. Six and a half minutes, Trivium, before I even pressed play. When I, when I was first listening to this last week, I, I knew. I was like, yep, I'm going to be well in on this. I, I love elongated Trivium songs. I know there's going to be a solo in there. I know there's going to be a big chorus in there. And, mate, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this really delivers. I, I completely agree. Um, I don't think enough credit's given to Matt Heafy as a vocalist. I know. When no one ever talks about it. They always talk about, like, the guitarists and the musicianship. And, I, I, again, you know, I understand, like, you listen to Trivium, that's that's the draw factor. But, man, he sounds great on this. He does. Like, the really, chorus is really, brilliant. Yeah, really great. Really mature. And it's a band coming into their stride again. And it's an interesting one with Trivium, because people forget that Trivium is a strange one. Trivium a bit like Wayne Rooney. All right, so, like, that came out when they were really young, right, and we got to know them very quickly. Like, 2005, they were, like, teenagers, right, and they were just, like, immediately sort of your arms came out, and it was, like, their metal's new saviors, right? They're, like, Main stage of download 2006. You know what I mean? They're not even like 23 between them. They're all babies, right? And then they go through like bumpy patches and like we see all that stuff happening early on. By the time their f- first five albums are out, they're like 26 years old. And we're like, oh, Trivium are done. What? They're 26, 27 years yeah, old? Like, yeah. But like, we, it's because we got into them early. And it's like when you see like a good football, like, like really came through, like, you know, like it was like you watch this player over the course of like fifteen, twenty years, but you forget they've been like they've been at this level since they were like a teenager, right? So then they came away and they came up with Shogun, doesn't that, which I thought was brilliant, and then they went away again and they came out with the album within waves on which is phenomenal. And then they've died away again, they've come back, but it feels like they're they're reaching that sort of like mature, middle aged and this is not a criticism. Uh, I don't think it's slow. I just think that they're they're coming back into their stride as what they're good at. And I think this is a, a superb song. And I was seeing some of the reviews on Twitter and, and a few people have already heard the album saying that this is really great and like reaching like upper echelon levels of metal songwriting. So 
I'm I'm delighted. I think, like I said, I, Matt Heafy he should be given credit for being one of one of metal's most consistent songwriters because it's getting to a point where you you can't do this for many bands. I don't think where you could have like a legitimate twelve to fifteen song set list of like songs that span a decade and a half that are all terrific um, for Trivium. Um, like if you just did it evenly over the course of their career, they've got fifteen really terrific metal songs probably. And there are a lot of metal bands I think I could do that to over that long long period of time. And I think it's a credit to them. And I think they've dealt with some shit as well, obviously. Like, they've, they've had some band turnover, especially in the drumming position where they've had, I think this is their third drummer in the last few years. Um, but Matt Heafy is a terrific songwriter and vocalist. And I'm very, very, very much looking forward to this album in full. They're an interesting case, aren't the Trivium? Like you were just saying, after 2005, when Ascendancy was out... Them, Bullet, uh, Kill Switch, and Avenge were all like earmarked to be the next yeah. big four that, that take metal forward. And it only really happened for Avenged. But you could argue that Trivium actually had the best 2005 album out of that four. I mean, I, 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 like... I, would, I, would, I would fight to the death anyone that disagreed with that conception, to be honest. I think it's amazing that album is. I, I've never actually heard the Crusade in full. Is it that bad? Because supposedly that was that that was like a, a severe misstep for them. It wasn't awful, but after the ascendancy, it was a noticeable step down. You're disappointed. And I think it's not, it's not awful. It's just like ah, oh, this is not great. And I think that's probably what has affected trivia more than anything else. Because then, then they're on the back foot. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, they're on the back foot. Because they've done Ascendancy, everyone loves them. Ascendancy was the second album, I think. And then yeah. uh, Crusade knocks them on the back foot. Then they come out with Shogun, and people are like, oh no, yep, st- okay, they are still sick. In Waves, great album. And then Vengeance Falls was, you know, was all fine. And then they did that, uh, was Silence in the Snow. Yeah. And Silence in the Snow oh, okay. wasn't a good album. Uh, yeah. And then, and then they've been put back on the back foot again. They come back with uh, The Sin and the Sentence in t- two years ago. It was no, three years ago now, 2017. Which, I thought that was fine. It was it was a decent album. So it's like their the trajectory is constantly getting skewed elsewhere. Um, but like, I think Catastrophist is better than any song that's on The Sin and the Sentence by quite a distance as well. Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair to say. Like, If they'd have followed Ascendancy with Shogun, I think we're having a very different conversation about Possibly, Trivia. possibly. Uh, and but to be fair, we talk about comparing the big four. I mean, like Megadeth that opening for Five Finger Death Punch now. Slayer never played um, more than the NIA, but that was with massive support bands. You know, only Metallica really broke through. So you know, it's rare, I think, for them to be perhaps to have multiple absolutely humongous bands. I mean, that is so a good I, point, I, actually. To be fair. But you never, you know what I mean? Like Slayer never headlined Download. No. Neither did Megadeth, neither did Anthrax. No. You know what I mean? It was Metallica, Gap, and then it was it was more Metallica in the big three at times. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's be honest. Like, no offense to those absolutely incredible and and uh, and, and impactful bands, but it, it it really kind of is like Liverpool in the Premier League at the moment, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like, there was this noticeable gap. So, so yeah, I I, I think I think I think it's. I think it's okay, and I think I think for them not to not to have sort of made that leap massively yet, yeah, but Trivium are terrific. Trivium are terrific, and they've got a legion of fans that will see them year in year out 
and their albums and their albums are great and that there are some songs that they release that are just like not many bands can do what they do yeah man i saw bees put on twitter i'm pretty sure it was you that tagged me in it like yeah that this is like that he's heard the the album and some of the songs or maybe like the opening song he was talking about is like metallica level mate fucking inject that shit into my veins because yeah it, yeah if that if that's where we are then this is cool. great catastrophist is great and if there's like another song on there that's like metallica level holy shit this could be like this could this could end up being trivium's like coup de gras album uh, 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 instead of ascendancy where everyone looks back on ascendancy maybe it'll be like oh shit no this album that came out in 2020 this is the this is the trivium album that really solidified them as a classic metal band and i think this six and a half minutes the solo is amazing of course it is Matt Heafy sounds great in the chorus. Probably the best vocally I've heard Matt sound, for me personally, since Strife on Vengeance Falls. Yeah, I think that's a fair that's a fair cop. Yeah. Man, I'm really, really looking forward to this album. Uh, mate, what a year 2020 could be. Again. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I agree. Metal, metal is going from strength to strength at the moment in terms of the level of quality that's being released. And I think that is just wonderful for people in our business my man and just to round off some single reviews uh dude fever 333 released this like throw away i guess for them but would this song for me personally would still be would be like a lot of bands one of their great moments um throw away new song called uh presence and Sh- presence is strength sorry uh, recorded, mixed, released within 24 hours. Holy shit, man! This I just I love this band to fucking death. Um, what are you saying about this song? This is terrific, isn't it? Um, hey, Jason Butler, is... man. Yeah, I, I, there's there's like um, this is getting to a point where there's just like a certain expectation you have when you listen to Fever 333 um, about the sort of song that you're gonna get. And this this once again is is it, it's the classic concoction, the classic co- cocktail. Of, of of FIFA 33 stuff, it, it, it's it's charged, it's aggressive, it is eclectic, it is um, passionate, it is loud, it's brash, and it's fucking great. It's fucking great. And this is just another one. Um, it, it does sound like a um, like a bridge sort of song in the sense that it's very similar to the material that was on Strength by Numbers. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't sound like a leap. Um, but again, Strength by Numbers came out like what two years ago, so um, or maybe it was last year, wasn't it? Start last, start last year, yeah. Yeah, twenty nineteen. Sounds like a long time ago now. Um, but so I, I don't, I don't actually expect it to be massively different, and I, I just, I'm glad they're still putting together music, and I very much look forward to um, the next album once again because these guys are phenomenal. I just, I'm so glad that Jason Butler is writing songs all the time. Please write more, Jason. <laughs> Because yeah, there's not a massive amount we can say about this song in a nutshell, because this is, is, as you've mentioned, is quite similar to what you would have heard in Strength in Numbers. But yeah, this, still, could, this could be another track on it, couldn't it? It would but, fit quite nicely inside. But still, written, recorded, mastered, released in 24 hours. I mean, just this band, mate, and Jason specifically, I, I just think he is so good on this. Uh, and I, I think Eric Improud to their drummer, I think he's absolutely astonishing. But again, for me, just Jason just steals it on this man. He's so yeah. so good. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic. He, his vocal range and his just uh, just pure ability to to breathe life through a song is is phenomenal. And 
the 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 Zach De La Rocha comparisons are, are justified because I I was listening to both that song and Bulls on Parade today. Hmm, awesome. And I fucking love Bulls on Parade. Yeah. The the the, the effect he puts on the microphone, so it sounds like he's giving like a speech. And like when you can hear him like giving breaths in between, like I just love it when you just and and Jason has the same sort of like I'm just I itching to hear the next lyric all the time, just to hear how his voice sounds whilst doing it. And that's that's a that's a wonderful thing to be able to say that a musician or a vocalist can can be able to give you. Uh, I pair those two together, not just insane, but sort of engageability. And I think I think the next Fever Three Three album is once again gonna gonna do bits. I do hope, I do hope as a sidebar, I want to see some vulnerability from Fever 333. Because you remember when we saw them live and they did that piano song? That was like yeah. goosebumps. That was like spine chilling. Yeah. Now, I want to see some more of that. Like, I, I want, you know what I mean? You've, you've beaten me up now. Make me feel better. Do you know what I mean? Like, make me feel good. Make me feel good. It is worth mentioning that this wasn't hurdled together with news of like a new album coming out. And I do think oh, it would, of course. I do think it would be too soon. I think that the world should be left to sit with strength in numbers for for a while. However, let's say 2021, new album comes out and it's great again. How far away would you be to personally preferring Fever to Let Live in the event that the next album, whenever that is released, does bang again? Because um, I'd, be, I'd be getting close. <laughs> it, it would be a consideration of mine, but the music would have to have and the songs have to have a bit more depth. Because Let Live... Um, were able, like I said, to be able to do, or were able to do both hard-hitting songs and songs of of, of genuine feeling and emotion and uh, a bit of a range in terms of musicality and stuff like that. Whereas I do feel like Fever Three Three Three. Well, I'm not saying that the lyrics aren't with depth and emotion because I, I absolutely know that's that that is the case. Um, but I would like to see a bit of variety because it does feel like sometimes Fever Three Three are in the same gear. Whereas Let Live were just more varied band at this moment in time. So it would take another great album, though. It's got me thinking, but I think it needs to be a certain type of album with a certain type of variety, I believe. Sam, I saw Stereophonics last Saturday. How was that? Oh, mate, so this is kind of weird. Um, My sister is a massive, massive Stereophonics fan, and I'm not really. Obviously, I know... The big songs, Dakota, Just Looking, Local Boy in the Photograph, that kind of thing. But I'm by no means a fan. Like I'm not like putting Stereophonics on shuffle on Spotify and taking everything that comes along with it. Like I, I, w- I wouldn't be brazen enough to call myself a fan. However, she did say I've got this. I've got a spare ticket, and do you want to come? And I said, Yeah, actually, I do. Because you know, it, well, it's just ticking a band off the list, isn't it? You know, absolutely. And I've got to preface this man with. A story from 2015. 2015, Bring Me The Horizon were competing with Stereophonics for the UK number one. And I, at the time, I was thinking, what? Hell, like, Bring Me The Horizon is surely going to trample out of Stereophonics. Who was listening to Stereophonics in 2015? Like, if I'd have said to you, if I'd have said to you in 2010, hey, do you know that Stereophonics retired two years ago? I feel like you would have probably said, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't know, but, I, you know, fair play to them. <laughs> because, because... And fa- you cynical bastard. And, and fair play to Stereophonics for this. They're not a band that you see marketed, marketed all over your face. Do you know what I mean? No, no, my face has been free of, of Stereophonics marketing. It's true. <laughs> for better or worse. 
So at that time, I was thinking, right, there's no feasible way Stereophonics are going to outsell Bring Me This because Bring Me have got this legion of young fans that are all behind and want to do well, and they're, they're the newcomers, all this kind of thing. And it turns out that Stereophonics actually beat them to number one. And like, I was just bemused at this. And I thought, right, okay, well, maybe it was like their first album they'd released in a long time and they still got fans on there. And then the album they released after that got to number one as well. And I'm think, I was thinking, like, man, like, am I missing something? They must have this, like, a massive fan base. And it turns out, Sam, that they have because <laughs> they're sold out the NIA in Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> to again, surprise, like, I've got fans. again, to my absolute chagrin, I was like, what, what the fuck is this? I was in there, and it was sold out, and I was like, fuck it, fair play to this band, man, that they don't spend millions of pounds a year on being advertised all over TV, radio, and social media, they're just a rock band that caught on to several, several thousands of people in the late 90s to the mid 2000s, they've carried that forward, kept a strong fan base, keep releasing music, because they love doing it, and fair fucks to them for that, because it and I've got genuine respect for them now. Because like I said to you, there was a point where if you'd have told me they retired in 2008, I wouldn't have questioned you. I wouldn't have known any different because they just they weren't a band that were in the limelight. So for them to be able to retain that a massive audience um, whilst not being forced in everyone's throat is, is massive props to them. Now I will yeah. say, I will say... That I'm having bad luck at the minute at shows with wankers, man. Because the menzingers was full of pricks. And I've got oh, to say... Oh, no, did it happen again? Mate, there was there was some pricks at Stereophonics. And it was abundantly... Do you know the um, music video for Thriller? Yeah. Where all of a sudden, there's like a million graves that are getting turned over because everyone's climbing out of them. Yeah. Right. When Stereophon- is that Stereophonics fans coming out the woodwork to buy the new album? Is that what that is? Not necessarily. What it is, is the Stereophonics fans that were at this show in Birmingham, they were, for when when Stereophonics were playing a song that was written after 2006, they were the the zombies still in their grave. Right. <laughs> the second, <laughs> the second a note was played pre-2007, all of a sudden, it's fucking thriller when everyone's chasing Michael Jackson down the street. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it was it was really weird to me because there wasn't a lot of old songs that they played, so they were so they were like playing like a lot of like new material, and literally everyone was so stationary. And I thought to myself, "You've paid fifty pound for this," and Bloody like, hell. and I, I I'm not into the band, so I'm gonna stand here and barely move and just kind of nod along to the parts that I think are decent. But you, but you got I, brought along for free? Yeah, I got took for free. I was doing my sister like a favour, kind of. These motherfuckers pay 50 quid for a ticket. And I was thinking to myself, dude, you could have just like listened to the greatest hits in your car. This is crazy. And there was a guy, <laughs> that, oh, oh, Sam, there was a bloke next to me that, oh man, I really wanted to hurt him. He, he, he was really annoying me. He had his back to the stage for, oh, oh, I want to say I was stood next to him for about 45 minutes before I, I, I moved before I quite possibly ended his life. He, <laughs> he had his back to the stage for the entire time. The, theoretically, 
he could have gone to like my nephew's recital of Barbar Bar fucking black sheep, but someone just putting stereophonics music into his earphones. You could have sat he, in the fucking car park, mate. He could have sat in the car park. He, he didn't even look at the stage. He was really doing my head in, and he was really he was talking really loudly. Oh, he, that's mate, the worst. I want, oh, mate, I wanted to really hurt him. Do you remember when them two lads were talking behind us at Sleep Token? I mean, we were yeah. starting to get really pissed off. But, like, obviously, Sleep Token, so quiet, very atmospheric, whereas Stereophonics are, are quite opposite to that. And it was just so fucking annoying. So we move, <laughs> we move, and then we I, I walk about, what, 15 steps away? And this time, there's, like, two women in front of me, and I swear to God, Sam, for about eight songs... All the one woman was doing was taking selfies with her mate throughout, like, every every song. And I felt oh, wow. like walking up to her and tapping her on the shoulder and saying, do you know that's the same pose you've pulled for the last 25 Ooh. minutes? You're taking, <laughs> you're taking pictures of you you and your mate doing, like, this smile at the camera, but you've, you've already taken that picture, I want to say, 50 times in the last 25 minutes. Please stop. Because it was massively off-putting. Because they were really, they were right in my eye line. And I did feel sorry for the woman's mate. Because it became quite evident that she could, she became, she became to notice that everyone's staring at them. Because she keeps taking selfies. And I could tell she was starting to get quite uncomfortable. But it was still really annoying because it was right in my eye line. Why do people do this? Honestly, mate. Why, why do people go to gigs and not, and do things that would negatively affect the no, like negatively affect the people around them's experience and give the impression that they don't give a fuck about the, the situation anyway mate oh, it's why, like why would you do that why would you go and do that it's like cool man take a selfie because like you're at the place that you want to remember take one okay take two three maybe but literally mate every song she had a phone out tapping a mate on the shoulder to, and because she had a flash on it was right in my eye line it was so fucking annoying i've mate i've come to realize that the last two gigs that i haven't gone to that i've gone to sorry haven't been metal gigs and there's been loads That's of arseholes the there there's been loads of arseholes there I, I, i'm starting to think that maybe it's only metal gigs where there's just nice people that know how to act at a gig so they don't ruin it for everyone else apart from myself yeah i i agree that really that the more mainstream a gig is the more people it's liable to to have invited and thus increases the chance of the amount of wankers that you get there where it's just maths but on top of that metal engenders a group of people that have been relatively speaking downtrodden and bullied through a large portion of their life and listen to music that tends to encourage people to fight each other. So there's both a combination of appreciation of being with people that don't hate you, and knowing full well that if something goes wrong, you could have your head caved in. And I think those are two very powerful persuasive devices. No one's going to get their head kicked in at a stereophonics gig, and I think that's a damn shame. (laughs) (laughs) I think the the moral threat of violence would go a long way at some of these gigs. With all that said, it was fun to see Stereophonics. They did fucking go on a bit, mate. They played for over two hours. And towards the end, I was thinking, okay, I didn't mind seeing Metallica for two and a half hours, but fucking hell, this is like Stereophonics. like, And they're yeah. not playing the hits. So I was like, fuck me, this is really dragging on now. But when they did play the hits, Local Boy in the Photograph, and Handbags and Gladbags, which I know they covered, but they still did the yeah. really cover of. Did um, you do Bartender and the Thief? 
They did bartender and the thief. Oh, they finished. Bander. They finished on Dakota. You know, yeah. it, it, it it was it was good and enjoyable. But fuck me, mate, did it drag on? Like if you were in that crowd and you're not a big Stereophonics fan, you it was a long long evening. And there was times where I was where I was thinking to myself, this this is an evening. This is this is like. I know I'm here for free, but I feel like I should be earning at least minimum wage while I'm standing here because <laughs> this this is like work. This is taking a while. However, oh, I'm glad I've seen them and I can tick it off the list. But yeah, man, like what is going on with people at gigs that I'm going to at the moment? I'm really hoping that Turnstile is just a, a collection of really cool people that just fucking get an air guitar out and riff their lives away, man. I'm sure it will be. I do hope so too. I do hope so too. Mate, let's move on to the greatest metal album of all time. This is going to start at number 22, and I'm going to give you the floor. You'll move forward, and I'll just chime in. So, at number 22. Far Beyond Driven by Pantera. Oh, mate. Oh, my goodness. Are you going to talk about Slaughtered, please? Oh, I think I should pass that to you. I think Slaughtered is the hardest metal song of the 90s it's got to be the 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 tone of that guitar and the way that Phil Anselmo comes into the comes into the song like Ugh! before Dimebag does his classic bluesy fucking nails on a chalkboard riffing just oh that song is absolutely brilliant it's there's not a lot of intricacy or lyrical genius what it is is the, the, a really, really hard metal song with a genius vocalist in Anselmo and an absolutely unbelievable rhythm section in Dimebag and Vinny and Vinny. Oh my god, amazing! I'll I'll let you continue now. That song. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, there's, there's a theme of today's um, three albums, and it's perseverance. If this was an assembly I was given at school, that would be what I'd say at the start. Um, because in 1994, Phil Anselmo was, um, came out of two MRI <laughs> uh, surgeries because he had um, uh, two ruptured discs in his back. Yeah, he had a really bad back day. And I'm Broken was about that and all that sort of stuff. And was using alcohol, painkillers and heroin to help numb the pain. And yet they still produced this, which is one of the top 20 metal albums of all time, in my opinion. Um, for, the de- for, the, for the depth of the riff, uh, it just sledgehammer sound um this is actually the first album that featured Dimebag Daryl as Dimebag Daryl rather than Dimebag Daryl Diamond Daryl sorry this was quite a a big one for the fans as well but like five minutes alone becoming amazing unbroken slaughtered good friends and a bottle of pills and planet caravan like it's it's just terrific it's it's not as good as vulgar display of power in the same way that injustice for all was not as good as Master of Puppets. It's just an absolutely tremendous, tremendous album that is the probably one of the landmark um, quintessential Pantera sounds with yeah. Becoming and Unbroken, which is like if you if you are what the Pantera sound like, you play you play riffs off this album. To be honest, um, because you want to explain to how great Vinnie Paul is, you play the the drum kick in Becoming, which I still. I just, it just, it's just impossible. Um, the unbelievable, so sick. And, it, and 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 some of the riffs are like five minutes alone and unbroken and stuff like that. Just the the rhythm and blues sludge that accompanies um, some of Phil Anselmo's vocals here that really took a step forward, considering how much pain it was in and how much uh, trauma the band were going through. Um, 
and it also features the famous story about five minutes long where that um, the bloke was swearing at Pantera and then um, people beat him up and then he, he tried to sue the band. And he said, just give me five minutes alone with that Phil and I'll go, I'll beat him up and all that sort of stuff. Um, but the, my favourite part about the song is that this, this happened while the band was opening for Megadeth <laughs> in 1994. Can I just get a time machine, please? Is that possible? Can I go back and see that gig? Because um, that, that just sounds absolutely phenomenal. Um, but yeah, this is one of the... One of the all-time great metal albums. It just is. It just is. It's 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 probably the second best. It's the second best Pantera album in my opinion. Um, and you can't you can't paint a picture of metal in the nineties without putting this album on. You just can't. Yeah. Next up at twenty-one is Black Sabbath's Volume Four album. Um, this is their fourth album, which they wrote in two years. Um, and I don't mean that the album took them two years. I mean that they wrote four albums in two years, um, which is just astonishing to begin with. Um, Chris, I want to I want to tell you a couple of things about the level of drug taking and debauchery that surrounded this album. <laughs> Please. All right. OK. So first of all, if you ta- open the album and look at the liner notes, you know what the liner notes are, Chris? Yeah. So like all the all the explanation the band does on the inside, they actually thank the great company Coke Cola, C L K E, Cola, right, with with Coke written in capital letters. Um, the band's studio cost was seventy thousand pounds. The band's drug cost was seventy thousand pounds. Right, they spent the same amount recording the album as they did on cocaine, which they had delivered to them. And I'm not kidding you, fairy-like powder boxes. Do you remember the old fairy powder boxes that you'd dig <laughs> out with a cup? Yeah. That, that's how they had the Coke delivered daily. And they would just pour it out. And I'm not joking because I've, I've read of different books and different members of the band speak to this. Pour it out in the middle of a table that they were in the studio and just split it into four chunks like Scarface. Stick their faces in it, I imagine. And then just write these songs. And it's it got to the point where Bill Ward, the drummer, who was also drinking heavily and going through a divorce, spent regularly spent um, times in the studio just passed out, um, including a point where he passed out for so long that the rest of the band um, paint spray painted him gold spray paint from head to toe, completely naked. And he, and he woke up looking like a munchkin. Um and he just couldn't wash it off for days. Um, but yeah, it, this is this is how how much dr- drunken and debauchery. They they moved to LA for like six months while recording this album, and then just got up to just the worst kind of Motley Crue esque stuff. And yet, brought out an album that is is widely regarded as as one of the most influential Black Sabbath albums ever in terms of like its length and musical direction. Came out in 1972, features Supernaut, Snowblind, Under the Sun. Um, one of the more progressive albums that's since been copied by, um, by by massive sort of um, progressive metal albums and, and, and metal bands later. Uh, it's just another another notch on the bedpost to Sabbath um, that people consider the, one of the first real movements towards a more modern metal sound that's since influenced like Iron Maiden and Metallica and, and sort of Ministry and Nine Inch Nails are all bands that have covered songs off this album and cited it as influences. And things like that. So for them to be able to produce this this album once again under the, what was going on, where Ozzy Osbourne would state that this album was the start of the end for the first 
you know, the first real iteration of Black Sabbath where it all started to fall apart because of the drink and the drugs and, and all that sort of stuff. For them to still come out with stuff like this, it features Changes, which is a really good song and a real, one of the first brave moves by Sabbath actually like write a ballad and, and stuff like that. Um, it's just a, just a really tremendous album. Which went out an incredible achievement, like I said, given what the band was going through and what the band were doing. Like it's astonishing. This this album had no right to be good, like zero. Um, they were all just like coked off their tits for like three months, um, barely barely able to barely able to to work together, and still made one of the uh, one of the one of the, the top four Sabbath albums, really, which is extraordinary in itself. Um, number twenty, the the twentieth greatest album of all time. Uh, Metallica, Kill 'Em All. Ah, I was waiting. I was wondering when. Uh, this is the first Metallica, not last, but the first Metallica. <laughs> I um, didn't think it would be the last. <laughs> first Metallica entry. Um, while a few people will cite Venom's Welcome to Hell from 1981 as one of the, the albums that really kicked off the birth of thrash metal, uh, Kill 'Em All was definitely the one that popularised it and really began um, the 1983 to 1987 period of extreme metal's fame, pomp an underground excitement yeah. that started later with sort of Slayer and Megadeth and the, the South Bay thrash movement of the, of the early, of the early eighties to mid eighties where the type trading industry was how bands got massive. Um, it's rough. It's raw. It's poorly recorded for Metallica. Obviously it's their debut album, but what, what the band do here is they lay the seeds um, for one of the, the great four album runs here. This is the first step on, towards the greatness with Seeking Destroy with Whiplash with the Four Horsemen with Metal Militia um, this album features some absolutely classic Metallica songs um, and songs that have become um, well versed in their set lists and achieved legendary status amongst their fans and began Metallica's journey to, towards being the dominant metal force Um Incred, incred, incredibly like it sold it sold 17,000 copies by the end of the year just on tape trading alone it had no radio airplay it had no um, no music video Then it, but the band didn't release a music video until 1988 um, but in terms of its importance on the metal scene it literally um, was the first signpost on a genre of metal that has become to define metal almost on its own when people think of classic metal they tend to think of uh, two periods they think of the early stuff in the 70s but kicked it off you know like sabbath and deep purple and and stuff like that and then i think of the thrash metal era of metallica and um and megadeth and slayer and metallica's first album kill em all um featuring that favorite famous cover with the bloody hand and the empty handle and all that sort of stuff um it was originally gonna be metal up your ass with a, <laughs> a hand with a sword coming out of a toilet but the record label um denied that and, and i'm glad that they did because it was it was terrible, really. It was like a very teenage sort of yeah. album. Um, but they, they, they took a nice turn in this one, the Kill 'Em All, uh, which was apparently was uh, Cliff Burton's response to a record executive about them um, not putting Metal Up Your Ass as the covers. Oh, fuck it, let's just kill them all. Um, and then they decided to keep that. And also, speaking of Cliff Burton, uh, features his bass solo with the, uh, with the immortal bass solo Take One, uh, James Hetfield. Uh, speaking at the start, which means that he came up with it and played it in the first take, which is extraordinary itself, and started the, the cult of Cliff, which was like the obsession with the bassist and how brilliant he was, and started his influence on musicians 
um, which still he's felt even now, sort of 40 years later and 35 years after he died or 34 years after he died. Um, so, yeah, this is the this is the first step for Metallica and one of one of the many ones that they took towards dominating the metal scene and, and one of the most important and generation defining albums, which is what the head of this category is. So after this, Chris, we're in the top the top 19, which is the all time anytime great category, which takes us from number 19 to number five. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, indeed. Here we go. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next episode where we we really break each album apart and really like jump in and and have this like in depth discussion because it, even if it's an album that you that you that's next that I've never heard before because as we've discussed many times you've got much more of a knowledge of historic metal than I have. I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna I'm gonna take in everything and we're gonna have a full on chat about it. I think I, I don't think there's a lot of doubt in terms of whether you've heard of the album, but there might be a couple that you're like, all right, I need to revisit, yeah, or listen to, or listen to from start to finish. But I think every obviously I, I wrote the list, so I'm going to think that. But I I, I do think that every album on this list is just you'd argue with me over the order, but not their position, not their placing on this list. Does that makes sense. There's no one where you're like, oh, can't believe you put Celtic Frost second second album on here. There's nothing like that. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, but fair enough, it, it shouldn't be number 17, it should be like number 4, or whatever. It's that sort of argument, I think. So Sam, to round off this week's podcast before we bring in the Red Method interview, um, Five Figure Death Punch, new record. Yes, yes. Now, first of all that we need to discuss, do you reckon that it's called F8 or Fate? Now, definitely F eyes for me. Right, so it is. So I, if I was it's, if it's supposed which... to be fate. I fucking hate the idea of that. Because <laughs> I, I was thinking. Because M eight, I know. I also assume that it is F eight because I do believe it's the eighth studio album. Although I am not a massive eight finger fan. death punch. <laughs> I... If we get to ten, they just stop because I've got no fingers left. Like. F9 would be fine. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it's going to get awkward when it's for 10. <laughs> anyway, I am not a massive five-figure death punch. For level my... sorry. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a massive five-figure death punch fan by any means. Um, and I, believe, I don't think anyone could tell. I believe it's the right album. I mean, you know, yeah. you can correct me if I'm wrong. I, I'm not yeah. claiming to be an expert. It, I, I think it's the right anyway. <laughs> right. Let's talk yeah. about. Let's talk about the right. If I think Death Punch is a band, so. They ma- They are a massive band. Uh, they, 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 oh. we, we mentioned this when we were talking about uh, their recent tour with Megadeth and Dave Mustaine announced on stage that like the cancer's clear, which is wicked. Five Figure Death Punch get a lot of criticism, just like Avenged Sevenfold, funnily enough, and they're absolutely massive. But Five Figure Death Punch are indisputably a really, really massive band. I'll give you a for instance. Um, I am just quickly looking at their Spotify, and one of the songs from their album called A Little Bit Off, which I actually don't like, and we'll get into that, has already yes. got 2.2 million listens solely on Spotify. The album has only yeah, it's, been it's the album, extraordinary. The, the album has only been out for just over a week. Another one of the songs, Full Circle, uh, five million. Uh, Inside Out, nine point four million. They're indisputably huge. The sold out Wembley Arena. 
And whether people like it or not, if Andy Copping, we've said this before, if Andy Copping is sitting there and okay, okay, you want new five-figure deathmatch are a safe, are a safe bet, man, because they're an arena-sized band. People will turn up. They have got a huge fan base. They sell merch, and you know what, Sam? There's a massive, massive place for entry-level metal. And that's yeah, what there Five is. Death Punch are. They're an entry-level metal band. They're really, really important. If someone listens to Five Finger Death Punch, because they like how it doesn't go too far, but they get really caught up, and then they're listening, they listen to some of the heavier songs, like, oh, this is okay, they might find All That Remains, and then they might find Trivium, they might find Kill Switch. You see where I'm going here. Entry-level bands are, are really, really incredibly important. With that yeah. said, with that said, I appreciate that there is a place for Five Finger Death Punch, but I'm not a fan, and this album isn't doing much to convert me. Uh, lyrically, Sam, this album is... <laughs> I've actually got something on that. I'd like to play a game, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I've, I've, I've done some research, and I've got a Word document in front of me, Chris. Okay. And on that Word document is a few lyrics from each of these songs in this album. Okay. That I've, that I've read through and copied and pasted some of my favourite ones. And I'm just going to read them out loud and I want you to try and explain what they mean. <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> if I wrote it down for you, could you see it clear or would it go straight through your soul and come right out of your ear? <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> It's like I think one of Five Figure Death Punch's like heartbreaking relationships. Their girlfriend was carrying around like a, a suction device that was blocking up all their eardrums. But if you can write it down, how does it also permeate a soul and come out your eardrum? <laughs> okay, that's that's one. Okay. While they're busy counting backwards, yeah, you're busy counting sheep. What does that mean? Uh. I'm assuming that is in relation to someone's really bored and they're trying to count sleep to go to, to count sheep to go to sleep. Yeah. While someone's trying to have an in-depth conversation with them. Yeah, I, 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 I think I think you might be honest. That yeah. doesn't make the lyric good, by the way. I'm just saying that's what this, I think this, it means. This gets better. Um, can someone tell me am I the top of the bottom or the bottom of the top? <laughs> yeah, mate. Oh my god, that song is terrible. That song is... It's called Bottom of the Top. That song is... That is awful. Yeah, that song is... is. Um, I've got just two more for you. Um, these two are my favourite riddles I might have ever heard. Special's a term they use to describe someone when they're afraid to admit that they're right. No, it's not. <laughs> death, is, <laughs> death is a term they use to describe something they can't accept because it comes with a price. What? What does that what what does that mean? Right, and lyrically, this is bad. This is two whole verses of a of a five finger death punch song. You want it, you got it, take it. This is war. You want it, you got it, you can keep it, break it all. You got it, you want it, take it, etc. Um, and then it goes into break it all. You got it, you want it, take it, motherfucker. If this wasn't a metal song, you could convince me this would be a car insurance advert. <laughs> Yeah, mate. It, it, it's just appalling from a songwriting standpoint. Absolutely appalling. I agree that there is that this is entry level music. Chris, 
I've never heard an album full of songs that were rejected to be Brock Lesnar's intro music. Oh, yeah, this is this is a great album for uh, wrestler intro music. This is this is playing. This is background in Raw 2007, isn't it? Or WWE 2K6 or whatever. It's you're right. It's entry level. It's it's something that a 12 year old would really enjoy if they'd heard like them with a sickness and wanted to like expand their metal fandom. But the problem is, is me and you have been scaring the world for the best metal music for the last sort of decade. So this is this is kind of the equivalent to going from filet mignon to having like a corned beef sandwich from a songwriting standpoint. And there's there's nothing wrong with it. I want to say that there is nothing wrong with it. And I'll let you finish your review off, obviously. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this, but it's not great. And it doesn't actually have any like basis to it. It's it's really superficial music. The riffs aren't complex. The, the songs aren't well written. Uh, the lyrics are obviously like year three reading school level with some of the most. I don't think Ivan Moody knows what a metaphor is or how one works exactly. <laughs> um, but he's trying his best. And I guess that's all that matters. Um, but there's just nothing to it, man. It, it's like a carrier bag of density, really. There's just no. Like and the, the songs that are like attempting to be like the deep ones, like a brighter shade of grey and and a little bit off and all sort of stuff just come off as like weird like kind like just really corny um like wry attempts at pop music it, it, it's it's perfectly fine if you're five death punch fan it's just there's just nothing else to it there's no depth to this at all yeah this is oh, see I understand its place and I understand why people like it, but this this does very little for me. A, a little bit off is, oh my god, mate, that's a long time. Yeah, and it's, it's only like four minutes. You like checking your watch? Is this the third verse already? Oh, it, mate, yeah, that's a long time. That song is. And bottom, I feel, of the I feel like I want to die to that. Fucking hell. Oh, but it's massive. But all that tells me is that there's so many people in the world that that don't need much out of music and that, that's all right like it's just it just saddens me a little that people will be like oh yeah that really that really fits me and that really like man yeah i also feel off today <laughs> you know <laughs> man there's enough fucking depth of emotion christ almighty there are some decent solos on this and there there are some like rhythm sections that you bang your head to. And Ivan Moody can sing, by the way. Yeah, he's got a good voice. He's got a good voice, yeah. That's what carries that, this, that carries this, to be honest. And that is emphasised on Inside Out and Full Circle. That, that like, yeah. it's track number two and three. He can sing. He, he can. And, and he has got, like, an aggressive... When he does that, like, kind of, like, spoken word style where he hard goes over the top. Like, yeah. you know, you, you can nod along to it. But I can't help but just be brought back down to reality when I'm hearing the lyrics. And then the choruses are all, you know, they're all a bit corny, aren't they? And they're a bit yeah. like, you, like they're a bit like you said, mid-2000s wrestler music. And I, I love pro wrestling, by the way, but, oh, man, yeah, this, this is a lot. This album is long. Oh, my God. There are what? There are 13 songs on this album. There are an extra three on the bonus edition. Yeah, uh, this is a long time. This album, this this could have been ten songs long, and still I would have been like, mm, it's not great, is it? Yeah. Um, 
there are there are a couple of decent songs on this. The two I mentioned, so in full circle. I don't despise Darkness Settling or or Leave It All Behind. They're they're all right, but there is there's like this. There's like a four song run, and three of the songs are awful. A little bit off, and bottom of the top a whack. And then there's a song called Mother May I. And yeah, then like oh tick, my god. And then TikTok in brackets. Holy shit, that is awful. <laughs> that is like. Uh, at that point, I'm listening to this. And I'm like, okay, dude, I get this is entry level, but fuck, man, this is like like a piss take. This how like dumbed down it is, and there's just so little going on. But you know really? what, mate? This album will sell really well, and Five Finger Death Punch will still smash arenas, and they're still gonna be the number one candidate to be a new band headline download. Good for them. Oh, mate, I I ain't feeling this album at all. I, I'm no further in. On Five Finger Death Punch than I was in 2013 when I was listening to the, they did that double album didn't they um, the wrong side yeah. of heaven and the righteous side of hell um, yeah. I'm, I'm no further in now than I was back then and back then I was like oh this is boring to me and that, that was when I was first really getting into metal and stuff so yeah um, this album does very very little for me but mate they're going to carry on selling records and they're going to carry on selling out of rain isn't they yeah, they are. They are. There's going to be fucking 30,000 people singing these nonsensical lyrics. Bumping into each other. So that brings the podcast to an end for this bit. We're going to move on to me interviewing Red Method in just a moment. One of my special mention that we're going to be back in two weeks and we are going to be reviewing the new album from Code Orange, which is out this coming Friday when this album releases and we're going to be doing, reviewing the new album from August Burns Red as well uh, side note, that Code Orange album is a special, special timestamp in music um, my review for it went live today, I shared it about on my socials and stuff, the second 10 out of 10 I've ever given, I am 100% captivated in think this is one of the greatest things that's happened in recent memory, so if you listen to this before Friday the 13th Please fucking listen to that album on Friday the 13th. If you listen to it after, go back and listen before me and Sam review it for you. I'm hoping Sam feels the same as me. I don't think Sam... So you're not as massive on Code Orange as me to begin with, so I don't know whether you will get in, as enthralled as I have become, so I just think it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, but as well as that, we're going to be um, doing the album review on the new August Burns Red album as well. Uh, stick around. My interview with Red Method is coming up right now. I want to thank you all for listening. Vote for us in the Cardiff Music Awards and we love you. We'll see you soon. Bye. Indeed. So I'm now joined by Alex Avdis and Jeremy Gomez from Red Method. Lads, thanks for coming on the show, man. How are you getting on? Trying our best, man. Cheers. Good. This, I think Good. This, is a, this is a first for the podcast, but I've never had two members from a band on at the same time. So I hope this goes well. And thank you guys for being the guinea pigs to see how this goes. <laughs> Jeremy's in Gibraltar, so he might uh, look like he's in a bunker. <laughs> yeah. Coming to us all the way from Gibraltar, man, that is, uh, man, that's commitment, I appreciate it. <laughs> Safe, um, man. All good. So, done. so, I always start my interviews opening up with a question that gives us a bit of an idea on uh, the background of the artist. So, when was the first time that you remember engaging with music more than something that was just on in the background at the time? Who was, like, the first band that you remember really capturing you? Oh, God, man. I remember my father bringing, uh, for, uh, bringing uh, Ghost, the Ghostbusters <laughs> soundtrack 
and the live scorpion <laughs> tape. I was like, I wasn't even, I wasn't even five at the time, but I, uh, I played those a lot. <laughs> and I guess music was, uh, and I, I can't, I can't say that I ever listened to music and it was just a background thing. I was uh, immediately engaged, and I knew that's exactly what I had to do. Oh yeah, I'll tell you, this is it. Watching Bruce Springsteen at the at the Olympic Stadium in 19 <laughs> now I'm gonna tell you how old I am 1985 bro I was five years old that's and, awesome uh, and uh, he was singing that um born in the USA and he got the left side of the stadium to like scream then the middle of the stadium to scream then the right side of the stadium to scream then everyone to scream and I was like holy fuck I, I need this and I think that's what changed my life what happened to you Jeremy <laughs> yeah um, I, I lived in Gibraltar, so it was hardly nothing around here. You know, everything I saw was on TV, but um, I just remember my dad playing um, Europe. It's the final countdown. <laughs> and, um, and I think once I heard that, that was the first track that I think I just told my dad, what is this? What does it mean? And then I just started to, to tell him to play it again and again and again and again and again. And then I remember when I was a kid, um, just going into a shop, like the only music shop that was available in Gibraltar, very young, like I was, was probably eight or six or something like that, and just asking the guy, I, I want to hear stuff like this, like this kind of music with these, with the guitars that sound like this. I didn't know what it was, I didn't know nothing. And um, then they, they the, the, the guy in the shop, I remember, passed me Iron Maiden, The Killers, and then from Iron Maiden I went to... I don't know, just um, slowly slay at the time and then slowly, slowly build up, you know what I mean? Um, but definitely Europe. It was Europe, the first one. <laughs> hey, man, oh, that's... <laughs> that's so cool. Like, uh, uh, for the music that you guys play, I would not expect you to say <laughs> what you said, man. So that's, that's so awesome and really interesting, man. Um, when, yeah, when, yeah. when Red Method first came together, a few of you would come from different bands. Did you have to go in with the mindset of this is a completely clean slate? We're not going to go in with any any kind of uh, historical conceptions of what's happened before. I think we we actually spoke about that, and it it's been a very it's been a very conscious decision to uh, not bring any baggage from our past with us. Uh, so you know, obviously we are who we are. We've had our lessons from the past, but. Yeah, we're not trying to be any kind of version of our previous selves. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think um, we are here now because obviously that you know, you know, we have a path of creators to be here. We've learned from the past, and we know order to be where we are now. But um, I think it was a clean slice. It was a clean thing that we wanted to do, and. Um, wanted to start from fresh and um, inject it with, you know, fresh venom and, and give give the band a new identity. So, um, yeah, it's absolutely a new start and um, trying to make it a, a new start and it is a new start. What kind of energy was in the room the first time you all came together and started writing? Was it this bang and everything goes great? Or was there like a teething period where you had to come together to work out a style that worked for all of you. Well, get this one. With that Jack, one, I think um, this, with this one, I think primarily I I was a 
primary the pr the primary kind of writer, and then um, I think the the drummer Fred as well. Um, Fred Myers also was writing quite a lot at the time with me, and Dave Tobin also, the guitarist, also wrote um, with me. I think it was building up. We pretty much built up um, most of the the album itself, and then worked closely with Alex um, to to um, for keyboards and electronics and backing vocals. But I think we I, I, uh, I joined quite quite late in the game, to be honest, right? Yeah. Yeah, but um, I think Alex was yeah one of the last ones that I you know I told him if he if he wanted to 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 do this and he, like me and Alex go back quite we a long time because we, we, yeah, yeah we, we always wanted to, to do a band and we always wanted to do an electronic band and I kind of already had a lot of the material kind of set already and um, I was looking obviously to work with somebody professional and somebody that takes it to the next level and obviously I, I thought fuck Alex you know this is this is it and I, I passed it to him and he was like fuck yes you know this is this is killer and um, obviously Alex you know, did the keyboards and did put all his stuff in it and then worked, we worked on the back-ins together and, you know, it just sounds great and we glued, we, we, we glued, yeah, everything glued nicely together, you know what I mean? Obviously, yes, there was a lot of work in the rehearsal room that we need to go through and we still are, you know what I mean? We all the time learning stuff, but um, I think it was pretty much, we all glued together, you know what I mean? Slowly, I think it, it came together slowly. It wasn't like, Everybody at once in one rehearsal room, bang, that's it, you know what I mean? I think it was more kind of step by step. It was more like a, a process, you know, leading up to, to where we are now. I remember the first time I saw you, I caught you at Bloodstock, and it was one of those things where we had 25, 30 minutes to spare, and we were like, oh, let's just check out the Sophie Lancaster stage. And you came on, uh, saw you all dressed in red, and the second you started playing, I turned around to my mate and I said, "These are the real deal, man." Like you could just tell instantly. And but obviously, one, oh, of, yeah. the, one of the first things I picked up on was how everyone's dressed in red. Um, how important do you think it is for a band to have an identity in this day and age where there's so much music out there? I think it's uh, it's you have to have an identity. If you don't, I mean. People are, as you said, man, people are coming, spending, you know, we have a very finite time on this planet, man. And if people are going to spend their time to come see your band, you better put on a fucking show. Otherwise, they're taking the piss, to be honest. And it is a show. And uh, we are influenced by bands that put on big shows. And that's what we want to do as well. And, um, you know, we want to give you the most bang for your buck. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, when you, when you, you know, when you get dressed up in your stage clothes, they fucking stink of sweat and they just stink of like gigs and it just puts you in that mind frame and you become a fucking animal, man. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's very important. Yeah. You, you got to live it, you know I mean? You got to live through it and you got to experience it and it needs to be real. And it, like Alex said, it needs to be a package, you know, like why, why would you pay? 10 quid or 15 quid to see a band that just stand in there. Yeah, the musical is great, technical, tight, but the guys look like statues, you know what I mean? Then there's no there's no emotion, there's no attitude. It's just like looking at statues, Just might as well just put the music for the PA, you know what I mean? Um, I think we, we, we come from a background, like a very strong background from the 90s, I guess, where, you know, looking at bands as, for example, Nine Inch Nails, Rob Zom and White Zombie, um, Antichrist, Marilyn Manson, I think 
Yeah, I think yeah, just basically recapping on that, I think we you know we come from quite strong backgrounds in terms of bands that give you the whole package, you know, like the music, the the the, the image, the I think everything needs to come together, you know. It's the same as any item, you know. If you walk into a shop and you buy, you see a, I don't know, a packet of condoms, and it, it, you know, the, the condom inside is absolutely fantastic, you know. What I mean, it's the best condom you can have sex, and you, you won't, you feel everything the same as if you wouldn't have be have wearing a condom. But the outside box is full of shit. You know, I mean, the shit stuck to it. Why would you buy that? Why would you be interested in the item, you know? We're not like, the super yeah, saver. We're... we're not the super <laughs> saver. <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got a beautiful package here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's about the whole thing. I think you got to live it and experience the whole thing. And the Red Method is, is about that. I think and we, we, we want to keep pushing that to the limits, really. When you played Bloodstock, you definitely won me over and the lads I was with. Did you see that as your opportunity of like, here's our first big chance to really make a mark on a, on a big UK festival and this has to go well? Did you put that much pressure on yourselves? I would, I would never put pressure on myself before going on stage. Obviously, it happens naturally. And uh, I guess nerves turn into adrenaline, which turns into violence, which turns into a great show. Um, so I, I wouldn't call it pressure. I just call it, it, it was just another gig, but it was great to play on a big stage, you know, because we're a big stage band, really. And we, <laughs> we keep playing these small stages and we're six people knocking into each other. No, I wouldn't <laughs> say that. I wouldn't say there was pressure, man. I, th- I thought it was great, man. It was a good time, and yeah. people showed up, and we were up against uh, Bloodstock favorites, um, Scarecrow. Uh, and, I think, yeah, I think like what Alex said, it wasn't so much about the pressure. Obviously, you always have that in the back of your mind that you don't want nothing technical or bad to happen, or... You don't want nothing, you know, you want, you want it to go well. Obviously, you don't want it to go bad, you know, I don't think. But if anything did happen, I think we'll make it part of our show, you know, and just make, just continue with the show. And, um, but at the same time, yes, you know, I guess you do want to give it the best you can. And it was a time where we walked out there and we knew we were going to be seen by quite a lot of people. So we did what we know how to work. You know, we did what what we do every day on stage and gave it everything at the time. Pace seems to have picked up really quickly for you as a, as a band. You know, you, you you've only been around for about a year or so, and you've got this debut yeah. record coming out that seems like people are really behind. Um, was the idea when you first got together to be like, we're going to play every single show we can, we're going to put out music as often as we can, we're going to get on the front foot as soon as possible. Oh, for sure, man. Like we are, I, I was just saying this in a, uh, another interview before. Um, we're not, we don't feel like we're too good to, for anything. We'll, we'll take any opportunity with, and claw our way. Man, we, we don't feel like we're owed anything. That's all, that's what I want to say. And, um, we work like bastards to get to where we are. Nothing's by chance. And generally people that think, you know, people are lucky. Nothing, nothing's luck, man. Everything's hard work, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Luck comes. 
So this is a question for, for Jeremy, uh, more than anything else, because it's around uh, the lyrics for the new record. Um, the lyrics on For The Sick features elements of everything from from death metal to hard rock, and from my research, for a lot of the tracks on the record, the lyrics are very personal to you, Jeremy. Do, do you feel, did, or did you feel vulnerable when you're writing about such difficult memories? You, you know, you're writing about them, you're, going, you're facing those times again. Did you feel, like, very mentally vulnerable and emotionally out there? Yeah, it, it was... I mean, it, it was a very hard... Sorry about that, that phone ringing in. You can hear it, but um, it was uh, it was hard. It was really hard, you know. There's really hard topics there. I think um, you know, there's a suicide of my friend Adriel, and there's two two of my most loved people that passed away, which is this last single. Um, then we got my psychosis, which was when uh, I went through a really bad time with an ex boss. Um, every single song is really deep in this meaning and it really takes you into into a, a journey you know i mean it's 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 our hearts in a plate literally um put there for you know um, i think thematically speaking um sick is about how fucked the world is and that we live in in general and uh, you know we live in this we live in a world which the human race is in decline with our consumption um that's an all-time high um, with with opinions formed from misguided use of media, right down to the corrupted political poli- policies, I guess. Um, we 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 talk about loads of mental health issues. Um, underneath the surface of the album, we wanted to focus really on issues surrounding psychosis of the human mind, I guess. Um, Is it? Yeah. Is it like a personal goal for yourself, Jeremy, that your lyrics need to mean something as opposed to just writing the songs just for a banging chorus? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if anything that I write needs to have a meaning. If not, I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't even touch it. I wouldn't go there. I think it's important to to give it a meaning and give it an identity because if not, what for me, I, I would struggle. I wouldn't be able to... to to write anything if it didn't have that, you know, if I wouldn't, if I wouldn't be doing anything to giving the song a purpose, giving the lyrics a purpose, you know, what am I going to write, you know, about, you know, I used to write when I was 15 about Satan and stuff like that. And what am I going to do that now when I'm, you know, phone, I'm going to tell you. When you're 27, right? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it needs to have a really deep meaning. And if no, it's not worth for me doing it. And at the same time, it's therapeutical for me. It's quite, it's my therapy. It keeps me sane. It keeps me going. It keeps me, I, I get it out from my chest. And it, it, I think if I wouldn't be doing what I did and Red Method, it wouldn't be for Red Method right now, I would be either locked away or I would be not well, really. Just going but, back um, again I to... Think, um, when everything in your, I think when everything in your life comes to an end, um, comes really to an end and it feels, it's like everything is exploding at the same time. It absolutely drives you insane, and it and it manifests your whole entire life, which makes you physically sick from the thoughts that come to your head. Really, underdriven to the lowest points manageable. And when you're there, that's when you need to write. I think that's the 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 the, the sweet spot where you really need to capture that moment and and put it out in your you know put it out all out in a plate. I guess. 
again, just going back to the sound of For the Sick, um, there's elements of all kinds of alternative music in there, from death metal, hard rock, extreme metal, um, alternative rock. Um, is this just a record that's a result of what you wanted to write at the time? Or do you think you see the future of Red Method as being this band that writes this expansive style of alternative music? Uh, uh, I think uh, it, it's it, it's just who we were at the time, you know. I think it's uh, I think for the sake it will all it, it, it's a killer album and it's 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 it's, all, it's there to serve a purpose and it's it, it is to establish the band to go to further to go further, you know, and explore deeper um, styles of music, you know. What I mean. I don't think we will ever stick to one certain style, you know. Like I think we will always be mixing it. I think uh, you know I can't really say yes, we're gonna be this, we're gonna be that kind of style because it just happens naturally, you know. And, and I write a riff, put a song together, you know. Then we sit down, Alex manipulates it, he does this, that, the other, and then you know the song again changes, you know. Then the drummer comes, puts something, some ideas. Quinton puts, you know, our other guitarist puts some ideas into it. I think there's a crossover, and I think the band is 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 really the um, progressing into uh, a better way of of writing. I think I think the second album will be a, a big, a, a more established step than what For the Sick is. I think that songs are going to be even you know heavier when it's heavier. I think it's going to be more melodic when it's more melodic. I think it's going to be you know the time signatures are going to be more more intense when it's going to kick in. I think the, the drops are going to be bigger. I think everything's going to be intensified, I think, because we we know where we are now. We know what grounds we're stepping on. We know what, what we're working with, you know? What do you think, Alex? I completely agree, man. Uh, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, man, when you said we're, we're a band that's just going to experiment with all kinds of music. And uh, I think that's the only way to come up with anything original, you know? Um you can sit there and be like, oh, that's not, you know, say you're in a thrash band. That's not thrash, you know, but then you're just a boring band. So, you know, we're just going to experiment and uh, just write killer music. And if it makes us, uh, for lack of a better saying, if it, if it makes us hard, you know, well, then we're going to keep it. If it doesn't, not. It's out. So that's the only criteria, man, if it makes us... Uh, grimace than it's in the album. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I think we know clearly what works and what doesn't work. I mean, the song structure, you know, structure-wise and melody-wise, everything. If something works, is right, is right. We know what we want. We want. We know what's going to serve the song, and we know what is going to work in the song, and what people like as well now. So I think it's more about just building that up and and getting our really. You know, strong points across in the song lyrically and and musically and 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 you know putting all the ideas from the band together and just making it shine really okay. you, you mentioned time signatures just which is a very interesting point because there are points on for the sick where it seems like a legitimate performance like on the opening track cycle of violence time signatures on that are all over the place um, is that how you felt that you wanted this record to come across, like you're watching Red Method on stage and this is a performance? Want to go for it, Alex? Well, um, 
like it's a performance. Of course, man. Of course, you're always thinking about how it's going to go live. You know what I mean? And um, if it's going to stir up emotions uh, when you're writing it, you know it's going to translate live. But um, for example, uh, Jeremy is uh, when he <laughs> when he sends me like a track. I'll load it up in my door and I'll, I'll see all these like time changes and this and that. And I'll text him like only a fucking psychopath writes like <laughs> this. You know what I mean? What the fuck is going on here? But, uh, you know, it, 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 uh, it all works out, man. And it, it doesn't sound forced. That's, uh, that's, that's the main criteria, I think. And, um, yeah, it just works, man. Um, uh, Jeremy has a long, long, uh, past of writing fucked up time signatures, and as a matter of fact, I think this is the tamest uh, he's ever been. If yeah, I'm not man. mistaken, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, 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 uh, yeah, and, 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 and right, Alec, like this was to, to a certain degree the hardest album I've had to write because I had to push myself completely back and back myself up. Yeah, easily fifty percent of what I usually done in the past you know in the past it's been you know, right into 300 bpm you know, minute, and it, it's just been absolute madness you know it, it's it's what i where i was at the time but this one i had to step back and even with the vocals you know the vocals in the album you know it, it's it's not as heavy as you know as i've usually gone you know what i mean and i've had to really step back and obviously yeah it, it's what i want you know what i wanted at the time and what it served the song and where we wanted red method to go but it really had to take a step back from it i guess um yeah. also in translation i think we really kept all the time referring while writing the songs we something that kept popping up in 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 my head and also the producer's head was how is this going to be transferred live how is this going to sound live you know because you can have a great track but then live it's always it doesn't doesn't work for some reason which you know we try to make sense of it and and we were constantly thinking okay this part is going to be you know this good part for, for people to breathe you know we're putting ourselves in the mosh pit and putting ourselves in the crowd as well while we were writing the the actual um album and i think that was a big it's important because you know it, it, you can feel when we're playing the song you can breathe you know i mean there's part there's pulse there's a pulse to it there's times where you can breathe in the songs you can do stuff in the songs and you can you know engage with the crowd in the past you know well, for me, I guess, um, it's been just so full on that I don't even have time to scratch my balls, basically. You know, straight, straight you to hell, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, we, we did try to bring across that kind of, you know, live element into into the album as well. And we believe it or not, it, it's quite a raw album in, in terms of even sound because we wanted it quite um, organic. Well, as, as organic as we could possibly go. Um, at the same time, obviously making the production as big as possible, um, but we did try to push the limits as organic as we could. We could we, we could go, and I think we you know we did achieve that, and we're very happy with it. If uh, also if something like if if we see a bit in a song, we're not married to the structure of the song uh, from the album. If we see that a bit uh, you know live, it work like we'll extend bits live, we'll take bits out live, like we'll. We'll uh, we'll make we'll do the I guess an easy way of saying it we'll do like the live version you know what I mean because that's what it's all about really so uh, yeah it's a it's a, co a constant work in progress I guess so yeah. yeah 
I'm someone that gets fascinated by production and producers. So I have to mention Scott Atkins here. Because um, he's worked with like Monument, Silos, his Cried of the Filth, like a lot of bands that I really love. And he, because he's worked with such a vast array of talent in the music industry, was he like the perfect choice to work with you on For The Sick? Because For The Sick has so many different styles of alternative music in it. Was he the easy choice? Like you knew it was him all, all along? I, I did. Personally, yes, I did know. Yeah, 100%. He was... For me, he is a producer still. I think he is, as many people know, he is at the top of, you know, the top of the producer list basically in UK. And for what he, you know, for the price he he works at, I think he is unbelievable. And not just that, I think you know Scott did, although he's a he's a close friend of mine now because we, I've recorded in the past with him with other bands. Um, he was really into the band. He was really into the style of the music. He's really into and believes in the band. He thinks, I mean, this is what he thinks. He thinks we should be touring with Slipknot. He thinks that we should be doing, you know, big, really big things. Yeah, man. But he really loved, he really loved the stuff. You know, he really, he digs the riffs. He digs the melodies. He digs um, the riffage, the vocals. He, he's a, he, he loved it and he loved that. And he helped us shape the songs and he did, you know, help us massively in, in what, you know, for the sake is at the, um, at the moment. I think we've established a very good connect and communication and connection with him that if we did maybe possibly go with him again, I think we'll really take push this to the next level. Um, but he is the man. He is definitely, yeah, a killer producer, man, 100%. Alex, as, you know, you're the keyboard slash programmer, um, what kind of role do you take in the in the writing? Do you tend to come in at the end and then lay your stuff at the bottom, or does it all start with you? Because I've spoke to bands who've got um, keyboards or programmers before, and they've said it, sometimes it's difficult to know where to fit them into the writing structure because it's the, yeah. it's their backing that can either make or break the song, and they don't know <laughs> where to put that in yeah. to find out the answer. Well, I'll tell you what, man, on this album, um, most of the stuff was written and um, I am. a v So when I grew up, when I was coming up, I guess I was uh, I hated keyboards in metal music, believe it or not. <laughs> so I hate bands that try to like cram in like some keyboards, uh, just put it in there. So it's so they call it industrial or something. Um, I uh, on this album I came in at the end and added things and Scott decided what should come in what should be out uh, um, on the new album uh, we have a completely different approach to it we are it's a more it's more collaborative right now we um, Jeremy will come in with an idea we'll talk about structure we'll talk about you know um question answers to how how the riff can work with something electronic and not just to, because the electric guitar takes so much i mean this is geeky talk but it takes so much of the spectrum uh, um that sticking a keyboard on top of it just sounds messy so um we're really really trying to fine-tune it right now and um i mean we're thinking about these things right from the get-go and um uh, shaping the tunes with that in mind right now yeah definitely and yeah, um 
And, and I have to say, man, for me, I really love uh, putting uh, electronics. I mean, there's two levels to what I like to do. There's like, um, like you can do synth leads or whatever, but after the lyrics are written and when you know what the song is about, then I like to go back and put atmospheres that will depict what that's about. So it, it's a me- it has many stages, but I wouldn't say there's a certain way of doing it. Um, yeah. I guess you guys are in this really interesting yeah. space now. Where... Is, is absolutely... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off then. I didn't know you were speaking, dude. Sorry. You guys are in this interesting space right. now where you, you're in this new band, but you've actually, you've been around for several years, touring in different bands. Is it, what kind of experience levels do you feel like you've got in the in the sense of you're in a new band now, but you've been in bands previously that have toured around, so you're not like teenagers, this isn't your first stab at, at, at making a great band. What do you feel like there's left for you to learn, considering you've already been doing this for several years? Uh, left to learn... I wouldn't say, uh, I'm, uh, personally, I don't know about uh, how Jeremy feels, although I, I can guess. <laughs> I'm not trying to learn anything. Um, I'm just trying to do what I love, man, because I can't not do this, to be honest. And um, I just have to make music. And, uh, yeah, that's why I'm doing it. I'm not trying to prove anything to anyone. I'm just trying to be, I mean, I tried not to write music for a while or not not to be in a band and I was just like I have to I have to play live I have to write music like um as Jeremy was saying earlier like um in my previous band I wrote the lyrics and that that takes out you know so much anxiety so much money you would spend on uh psychiatrists you know what I mean you just just write a song man and then it's someone else's problem you know cathartic shit for sure but um uh, as for the question, what am I trying to learn? I, I wouldn't say this is a learning thing. It's a calling, and uh, I am listening to it, and I'm following. You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, we don't have many years left in this life, man. I'm going to do what I love, man. Uh, and I think Jeremy feels the same way. How do you feel, man? Yeah, I think the same. I think we can't afford not to do this. <laughs> I think... Uh... <laughs> It's, it's, I think Red Method is our, our kind of psychiatrist in a way, and we just put in everything, all our, you know, issues and psychosis into the band. So, you know, we can continue living and, and continue living to a certain level as comfortable as we can. Um, it's more we do it because it's, it's, it's our, you know, it's our heart put in the plate and we want to, we want to continue doing this because this is who we are as individuals and as people um yeah i think in terms when you said learning i mean i don't know if it's learning in 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 if we're learning something in how we're working together as musicians or learning in kind of the geeky way in terms of the technical things of sound and all that but um i think from just doing a band no it's, it's just um it's kind of just being who we are and and and, and doing what we love Really? I've only got one question left for you, uh, but I've really enjoyed this and uh, it's been a really fascinating chat and thank you very much for taking the time to uh, to chat to me. Um, 
hey, I'm really into For the Sick. I think it's a great record. And there's there's a million things to take away from it. But I just want to know what both of your standout moments are from the record. Where if you could only play like one 30 second or one minute passage to someone. What you would choose that you think sums up For the Sick the best. I'd, uh, I'd play someone ideology, uh, which is coming out on the 28th of <laughs> February. <laughs> and we, we, uh, and it, oh man, wait till you see the video clip. It's hilarious. We awesome. had a fucking amazing time doing that, man. Yeah, I'd play them that. I think I'd play them, must probably, uh, E-Drill. Must probably be E-Drill. Just to say something different. But, um, I think E-Drill. Uh, the chorus of Idril, if you, if you want your heart to sink into another realm of <laughs> depression and and dripping with emotion and take you to, to a really, you know, strong, powerful place, I think that, that chorus in Idril yeah, speaks for itself. Hey, lads, um, I've really enjoyed this. This has been a really fascinating chat. Uh, for the Sick is a wicked record. Congratulations, man. I've got no doubt it's going to do really big things for you. And uh, thanks for being so open and uh, honest on answering the questions, man. It really makes for a great chat, and I appreciate you taking the time to chat to me. Thank you very much, man. Thank, thank you for having us. Thank you, bro, man. It means a lot, man. Thank you. Best of luck. Can't wait to catch you on the road.